said, we're starting a series today that we're going to do through the whole month of August, and it is called uh, What If? And I want to uh, just, the, the words up there on the screen, as I was coming up, kind of told you what, we're, what the topics are for these five weeks, but I want to give them to you anyway, just so you, so you know them in case you weren't paying attention or didn't see it. Uh, we're going to be talking about God's will uh, and freedom, forgiveness, evangelism, and today we're talking about bold faith. Yeah, we all want to have bold faith, right? Well, um, hopefully by the time I'm done today, we'll all be challenged to, to step out in our faith and be more bold for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, before I read my, my text verse this morning, a couple of things, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. I know Jessica said one more time, but I'm going to say one more time again. And uh, I promise I won't ask you to stand again until the end, but I think in honor of reading the word, it's a, it's a good thing for us to stand for that. Uh, my verse is out of Matthew in seven, chapter 17, where um, a man had brought... Uh, his son to the disciples for them to deliver him of this demon. He was demon-possessed, and the disciples couldn't do it. And so the man came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, your disciples couldn't do this. Can you cast this demon out? And, and uh, of course, Jesus cast the demon out immediately and, and heals this boy completely. And then I want to pick up in verse 19 of what happens after that. It says that Jesus, uh, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked him, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, Because you have so little faith. I love how Jesus just cuts to the heart of the matter, right? He didn't beat around the bush. But then he always gives us how we can, the, the, the scenario of how we can be better. Amen? He says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. God is good. Uh, the title of my message today in regards to bold faith is, What if God really can move mountains. Do you guys believe that today? I believe it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time that we have together. God, what a privilege it is to be part of what you're doing and, what you're, and, the, and the people that have come into this place to worship you and to grow in you and to have community, God. Thank you for allowing me to be part of this. And I pray that you bless the rest of this service. I pray your anointing and I pray that my words would be your words and that you would do your work in our heart. And we rejoice because we know that your word does not return void. So we give you thanks for that, God. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So when, uh, when Joy and I knew we were going to be um, serving in this position of leading the church, uh, you know, we, we came up with a vision and a mission for the church that I've shared with you guys a couple times. And but right under that, we wanted to come up with core values too, which are you know, things that, that we believe in, things that, that really um, mean a lot to us when it comes to church and how the church should look. And the, we're going to be getting into those core values as we move into the fall a little bit. But the, the first core value, the most important one for us is to keep the main thing the main thing, which is the Word of God, prayer, and worship. That those things will always be a staple, the staple, of any church that, uh, that we are part of. And uh, we believe wholeheartedly in that, that we will not um, stray from that at all. But the second one right under that is about bold faith. We say that if, um, if we don't need God to accomplish it, it's not big enough. We believe that bold faith is a very, very important aspect of the local church. It's an important aspect of the believer's life that we would live out in our life. And we have big, big faith for this church for the people of this church, for the people of this community affected by this church, and the people all around the world that are affected by this church. We have big faith for it, and we're not going to believe small for anything because we don't believe that's God's heart. 
and it's for his glory. And so we believe big, but with bold faith also come some challenges because we're not necessarily wired to have bold faith all the time. Uh, in fact, let me just give you a little peek behind the curtain of, of my psyche. Um, I am very pragmatic. I am a practical person. I kind of see things as they are. I take it at face value. Um, I don't get overly emotional. I don't overreact much to situations, which has served me well in business and in church ministry. If, if, in case you didn't know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and it's been easy to overreact over the last four months in church work. Uh, so, but it has worked well for me to, to not overreact in life and to, to kind of figure things out. I'm a problem solver. So being practical obviously has its advantages in life. Um, it also, on the flip side, though, can be a, an issue. Um, you know, it, there's times where I have conversations with my visionary wife, who is much more about intuitiveness and intuition, um, where I can get myself in trouble when I'm trying to fix her problems, when all she really wants me to do is just listen to her. And every wife in the house said, amen. I know you want your husband's just, man, you don't have to fix it. Just listen sometimes. It's the best thing you can do. But I'm usually trying to solve her problems before she's even done telling me about it, which can really lead our conversation down a path that I don't really care for very much. Uh, but being practical in faith is a whole different thing. In my faith, it's, it's worked for me and against me too, because I, I feel like I take the word, I can read the word, I feel like I see things in the word that sometimes people miss over a lot of times or, or, or pass over or miss. And, um, and I feel like when I look at the word and I see that the Bible tells me that I'm a, a sinner and that my heart is deceitfully wicked, I see that and I go, yeah, that makes sense. Because I know my heart. You guys know your heart. I can put on a show all day, but I know what's in my heart sometimes. And I know that my heart is not always good. I know that in, in and of myself, I'm not good. And so when I read the word, it tells me you need a savior. You need somebody that's going to pay for the sin in your life and give you a new heart. I see that and I go, mm -hmm, that makes sense to me. And so I, I live the life of faith. Now, I'm not saying there should never be any emotion in that knowledge and that understanding. I think there's times where we can we could be emotional, but I'm just saying my wiring for the most part is to look at these situations fairly practically. But I also know that that can work against me too because there are times you can't take the Bible literally by what it says in the Word. We, we all know that uh, when Jesus says, if your eye caused you to sin, gouge it out, he wasn't meaning that literally. Praise God for that, right? Not everything in the Word of God is exactly literal. And so it can be a, it can be a struggle sometimes for me because I want to see the practicality of it when there's times that it's not always practical. Like, it, you know, it takes, it takes Isaiah four chapters to, tell, to prophesy to the children of Israel that God's mad because you really messed up and, oh, yeah, judgment's coming. I could have said that. I just said it in five seconds. Why didn't he just do that? You know, <laughs> that's my frustration sometimes when I read some of the more poetic books because I'm a little more uh, literal practi practical and just want to see situations um, with a practical eye. But... Uh, but like I said, we can't always take the Bible literally. In fact, it reminds me of a story. Uh, a lot of you know Christopher Allen. He's a friend of this church. He's an evangelist that does crusades in Africa and um, really powerful ministry. Lives here in Pennsylvania. And he was in South Georgia one time at a church, uh, just going to preach there. They were, he was invited to preach. And during worship, the pastor leaned over to him on the front row and said, hey, before you go up, i got to go up and rebuke my church. And Christopher said, oh, okay. And so the pastor gets up and he says... Uh, I guess a lady in the church had just died recently. <laughs> and he said, you know, sister so-and-so just passed away. And I'm hearing all these rumors. I'm hearing people talk about whether or not she's in heaven or if she's not in heaven or if she's in hell. And, and uh, we're arguing about whether or not she's in heaven. And 
He said, I want to tell you all very clearly today that nobody knows who's in heaven. Nobody knows the heart of man to know who is in heaven and who is not in heaven. And up to this point, Christopher was thinking, yeah, that's a good word. And then he said, <laughs> then the pastor said, even Jesus himself does not know who's in heaven. To this, Christopher's ears really perked up because he wanted to hear what was next. <laughs> and the pastor says, I mean, think about it. Even in the Lord's prayer, what Jesus said, he said to pray, our father, who art in heaven? <laughs> that, some of you will get that on the way home today, but uh, we can't always take the Bible literally. Actually, that's not as much a literal thing as probably just missing a comma uh, more than anything. So, uh, but, you know, bold faith is important to have, but it's something that we can all struggle with in our life. And I want to help you today because I believe that, uh, that God will help us to have bold faith, but we need to understand even what that looks like and where it comes from. And uh, I think the very nature of faith is to believe in th something you can't see. So, of course, it's going to be difficult, right? The definition, in fact, one of the definitions I found of faith is a strong belief in God based on a spiritual apprehension rather than proof. I think that sums it up perfectly. You can't boil it down to a, to a, um, a theory or you, you can't boil it down to a formula of what, what faith looks like because it is literally something that we cannot see we're we're believing in something we can't see if it's something that that i know is here i don't have to have faith that there's a floor right here because i can see it and i'm walking on it faith is about having believing in something that we don't necessarily see in fact hebrews 11 1 the great chapter of faith the hall of faith or chapter 11 i'm sorry verse 1 it says now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see so you can't experience the fruit of faith in your life unless you live it that's something we miss. See, I, I think sometimes we want to take our faith and just kind of dip our toes in it to see how it feels, hoping God will come through if we give him a little bit. I, a couple weeks ago, uh, Joy and I had to go buy another car because we have yet another child driving. Please, please pray for us. <laughs> pray for my insurance bill because it is, man, the insurance companies are loving me right now. But we had to go buy another vehicle. And while we went to buy a vehicle, we, took, we found one car and we took it on a test drive. And test drives are great, right? Because you go out in this car, and obviously you can't wreck it or anything, but I can, you know, the, the salesman didn't even go with us. It was just me and Joy. So, you know, you get on the gas a little bit. You want to see how it runs, and you're burning gas and maybe hit on the brakes a little harder than you would on your own car. You know, I don't, but I'm sure some people do. And, uh, you know, there's, but there's no commitment. I could take that car back after a test drive and say, no, nah, I don't like it, even though I just used it, but I don't like it. And I could do that for 20 cars if I want, and the salesman's going to do it because he wants to sell me a car, right? But the test drive itself requires no commitment, none. And I think there's too many times in our life where we try to take our faith on test drives, where we don't want to really commit to it. We don't really want to have, have, have the investment in it, but we'd really like to see if we can get fruit from it. Like, man, can I get God to do something I need him to do and see his faithfulness? Because if I could see that, maybe, maybe then I'll have a little more umps to, to get into the, the, the life of faith and live in that life of bold faith and seeing what it really looks like. And see, I think for some of you, this might be revolutionary because some of you have maybe not seen the faithfulness of God in your life because you've been test driving your faith. You haven't really been committed to it. You haven't sat down and signed the papers and said, I'm all in on this. Now, don't, don't, don't get me wrong here. You don't have to sign no document to serve Jesus. This is an analogy. But I think sometimes we miss out on seeing God's faithfulness because we're not going to see the fruit of faith unless we are in it and living it. 
It's not about let me see it first, like display it for me first, and then if I like it, I'll get in it. That's not how faith works. That's how consumerism works. But our faith is not about consumerism. Our faith, in, our faith is about commitment and sacrificing ourselves to be part of what Jesus is doing. But we definitely would like to see it. I know I would like to see it. Like I said, I'm practical. If I can see something, man, that really helps me. But there's times in faith that Jesus says, I'm not, you're not going to see it. You have to believe it. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we cannot see. If we can see it, it's not faith. And in this text verse that I read, sometimes even the way Jesus talked can make us scratch our head a little bit. He says, oh, I tell you, if you have a, faith, a, a tiny faith of a little tiny mustard seed, you can look at that mountain and say, mountain, move over there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. For the pragmatic in me, I look at that and I say, okay, come on. Because if I really believe that that's something I should be able to do, then I would feel bad about myself all the time, time because I've prayed for mountains to move, and they don't move. Physical mountains. <laughs> now, could Jesus do that? Of course. He can do anything he wants. Anything he wants. There's, there's crazier stories than that in the Bible that we have documented. God parted the Red Sea so the, so the Israelites could walk across on dry ground. He took Elijah up in a whirlwind on a chariot of fire. That would have been really cool to see. He's done some crazy things in the Bible. He had a donkey preaching. The Bible has over 180 documented miracles that are just in the Bible, and we know there's infinitely more than that. So God can do whatever he wants to do. But this verse that I read, I don't necessarily believe Jesus is telling us, like, listen, I want you to move mountains. We don't need to move physical mountains. He's giving us a principle of bold faith and what that looks like in our life. And let me say, I believe that, that one of the biggest principles of bold faith is understanding that, that faith is not seeing things as they are, but how they could be. Not just looking at what is right now, not just looking at this pandemic and folk fixating on it and saying, why is it like this? Not looking at what it is, but looking at what it could be. And also looking at what God might be doing under the surface. Because, you know, it's interesting that God refers to our faith as a mustard seed. Any seed, you know, has to be what? Planted. It has to be planted. Which means for a while, there's stuff going on underneath the surface that we don't even know. You can't tell if a mustard seed is germinating and if it's sprouting and growing for a good little bit. But something's happening, right? And not only that, that plant, once it starts growing, is only as good as the underground. It's only as good as the roots. And I think that's the principle that Jesus is trying to show us here, that if we just even have a little bit of faith, he can work with that. He can work with that to where our faith can grow. In, in one of the other Gospels, he says that the mustard seed actually grows to be one of the largest plants where birds actually perch in its branches. So Jesus is saying here, I want you to have that, that seed of faith, and I want it to be in me, and if it's in me, I can, do what, I can do a lot with it. I can do a lot with it. Nothing will be impossible for you if your faith is in me. But you don't have to be some monster in the faith to be able to see God move in your life. It's very, very important that we don't try to grow our faith with these eyes. It's very important. You will be frustrated and discouraged and disheartened all the time if you're trying to grow your faith with these. If you're trying to grow your faith today by what you see in our world, you are discouraged today. You are absolutely discouraged. There is no question about it. But we don't grow our faith with these eyes. We grow our faith with our eyes of, with our eyes of faith. See, in this, this pandemic season, I've said it before and I've said it multiple times, I'm actually very excited about what God is doing. 
Now, I'm not excited about the, the pain and suffering that so many people are dealing with and the death we're seeing and the, the financial struggles that so many people are having, the relational struggles. The, there's so much going on. Even in the church, there's churches that have had to close because of this. I'm not excited about any of that. Don't get me wrong. But I know that I know that God is working. And I am excited about what I believe God is doing. Now, can I explain it with my eyes? Nope. Can I even explain it logically what God is doing? No way. Can't do it. But it doesn't mean he's not working under the surface. That that seed is not working under the surface. That God is not working. Let me tell you something. God is not taken off guard by anything that's happened. This isn't out of his realm of understanding. He's not sitting there biting his nails hoping this passes too. He is working in the midst of it. And we can trust him. But we have to be able to see with our eyes of faith to be able to do that. My faith is not in my mustard seed. My faith is in the one who can make that mustard seed grow. Our faith has to be in the one that can make it grow. And I know all the, the, the things that breed doubt in our mind. I've dealt with them. I've heard them. You know what they are too. When it comes to growing our faith, there's so many, the, the doubts that come and attack us, the enemy uses doubt as much as anything in our life to try to get us to not really have bold faith. And I've heard them all and I've, I've probably dealt with most of them. You think about People that have said, well, you know, I believed God for something and it didn't happen. So it's just really hard for me to really trust God. You know, I'm just going to try to get through this life. Because we've all believed God for something that didn't happen. If you serve God for any amount of time, you've believed him for something that did not happen. And you were not able to explain it. And so the tendency is to just kind of fold our hands and say, well, I'm just not going to do that again. Or ignore it. But God would, God would want us to say, that's okay. There's things, that, there's things I believe God for that I don't understand that didn't happen. It hasn't affected my faith negatively. It's made me scratch my head a few times, but, I, well, and I, I trust and know God enough to know that if I believed him for something that didn't happen, well, then I missed him. It sure wasn't his fault. We're talking about a perfectly holy God that loves us, so he doesn't mess up. So if something didn't go the way I thought it should have went, then I missed something. But we can, we can let that breed doubt in our lives. Or, you know, God isn't concerned about little old me. My little old problems, you know. He doesn't care about me. There's too many other issues in the world. Well, when you understand how great our God is, how big he is, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and everyone in it. So he cares about you and me just as much as he cares about anybody else. He's no respecter of persons. If he knows the numbers of hair on the head of Paul the apostle, he knows the numbers of hair on your head because that's who he is. And some people, I think one of the most dangerous ones is that people think, well, God doesn't really do that kind of stuff anymore. He doesn't really do those miracles. We don't have to have bold faith to believe for great things because God's kind of set the world in motion and we're just on this big marble and we're just trying to get through it. You know, he, he, he did miracles in the Bible, but, you know, those were just for the children of Israel because those were his people. He's trying to establish that nation. And in the New Testament, he did a lot of miracles, but that was just to establish the early church, to get the church off the ground so it could get going to where we are today. But he doesn't really do those things anymore. And to that, I would say, well, then you're not serving the same God I'm serving. Because he may not do things the way I want him to, but I know that he is worthy of my bold faith. I know that he still does a lot of miracles. I've seen him in my own life. I've seen him in other people's lives. And I can tell you that this book right here is not a history book. This is a manual for life. It is just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. And it is just as active and powerful in my life today as it was 2,000 years ago or 6,000 years ago. It's the, he's the same God. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. So he's the same God. So 
I know that I can trust him because he's a God that does work miracles. He's a God that is worthy of us having great faith in him to move in ways that the world would say is crazy. But we see it when we believe it. I would say, I would ask you today, what if we decided that we're not going to give place anymore to doubt? What if, when, what if we decide that when doubt comes in, we're going to reject it? It's not to say it won't come. It always, it's always going to be there. It's even in the people in the church will help breed doubt in your life sometimes. But what if we just determine in our heart we're not going to embrace it? We're going to actually reject it. And we're going to stand on God's word. I believe if we did that, if the church did that, the church would change the world. Because I believe we, we miss a lot of the, the things that God would even like to do because we're not willing to step out and really commit to having bold faith. We just want to kind of test drive it. We want to kind of stand on the sidelines and watch somebody else in their bold faith and applaud them for their bold faith. But when it comes to us, that's a little different story because I got too much at risk, too much to lose if I do it. So what I'd like to do today, I'd like to give you four what ifs of bold faith. Now I know preaching 101 says you're only supposed to have three points. But you guys are so smart, I could probably get away with five or six with you. But we're just going to do four, all right? But I, I really wanted to give you these four because I, I believe they're powerful and can help encourage us. The first one was, what if motives matter? What if our motives matter when it comes to wanting to have faith? We might as well just start at the beginning. Before we launch off of this and, and strive or, or have this bold faith that we're talking about, we have to understand why we're doing it. We have to take inventory and say, why do I want to have bold faith? If I'm, if I'm up here and I'm talking about bold faith and wanting to believe God for things, if everything you're thinking when I say that is about things you want, then you're missing the mark a little bit. Because bold faith isn't just about getting what we want God to do for us. That's only a small part of it. I mean, if I'm up here talking and you're thinking, man, I'd like to believe, be able to believe God to really get a financial breakthrough in my life or, or to really you know, have my my marriage restored or have healing in my body or, or something like that. There's nothing wrong with those things. We want to believe for those things. The Bible tells us to believe for those things. But if we want to have the type of faith that, that, that moves proverbial mountains in our life, the priorities of our motives matter. They matter. What if our faith is actually more about glorifying Jesus? What if bold faith looks like where we are so concerned that Jesus would be glorified through our faith that we're not even concerned about the outcome in our personal life? Where it's more about him getting glory than it is about me getting what I want. Well, I'm here to tell you today that that is absolutely the number one priority that we should be having for, for having bold faith. Is that Jesus would be glorified in our lives. We have got to get out of this consumer mentality of our faith. And I'm not accusing anybody here. We all struggle with it to some degree. But to think that, that Christianity and that Jesus is this, this person to be consumed that's supposed to come in and do our bidding is completely opposite of what faith is meant to look like. Too many of us have been talked into getting saved or, or, or you know, uh, preached at and told to get saved in a way that's like, if you get saved, your life will be better. If you let Jesus into your life, your life will be better. And we join this club med of the faith somehow, 
thinking God's going to make my life good if I give my life to him. You were lied to. We have been lied to too many times about faith. That is not what it's about. When you join the faith, when you give your heart to Jesus, you're joining an army. You're enlisting in an army, a spiritual army that God says, you, I own you now. The Bible tells us we are slaves to Christ, that he is everything and we are nothing. We're just coming in under that and, and letting him have our life. We're not rejecting that anymore. We're actually giving it to him. And when we step into that life of faith, we are giving him our life. And we're saying, God, my life is yours. You can do whatever you want with my life. That's the, the sinner's prayer. I, I, there's so much about the, the sinner's prayer that I think does us a disservice. I think the sinner's prayer should be God. Well, I'm not, I can't say everything I think it should say, but it should be very much about us giving ourselves to him and knowing, God, my life is yours. If, I, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to get saved, that's what I tell them. You know, this is not just some prayer you're going to say and walk away. You're saying, my life is no longer my own. I don't get to make my own decisions anymore. My life is about you from now on. You're worthy of it. That's right. Give him praise. Give him worship this morning. Our faith is not meant to get what we want. It's meant to get him what he wants. That, that, that might rock some of your worlds. Our faith is not meant to get us what we want. It's meant to get him what he wants. And that is us. Our faith is meant to be in him. And as long as you have motives regarding loving this life and wanting things in this life, your, or your, your motives are always going to be tainted. Because, see, we're called not to love this life. And this is, this is something that we struggle with because this life is all we really know. We don't know eternity. The Bible doesn't even talk a whole, whole lot about heaven. So it's hard to even really have a great grasp, understanding of what heaven's going to be like. All we know is this life. All I know is this flesh and bone. And that some mornings I wake up and it's really, really tired. And I need, joy, I need the Lord to help me not to be so tired or it's sick and I need healing or I need money to pay my bills. And that's all we know. So it's easy to get consumed with that. But the apostle Paul said that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. One version says to die is even better. How many of us really believe that? To know that there's nothing in this world, this world has nothing to offer us. It has nothing to offer us. And if we really want to have that bold faith, we have to understand and know that our motives matter. If we want to see God's faithfulness in our life, our motive has to be to glorify him. It has to be to glorify him, him and him alone. He is the potter. We are the clay. The clay cannot say to the potter, hey, I want some glory. The potter makes the clay into a pot for the potter's glory. So he can show that off and say, hey, look what I did. Nobody looks at that pot and goes, man, that pot, that you pot, you really did it there. You really did yourself something good. It's all about the potter, all about the potter, and that's our life. And so our motive for faith has to be that we would want him to be glorified in our life. If we don't start from that, if we don't launch from that foundation, we are, we are going to be off target every time. It's not to say you won't see God's faithfulness, but we will miss it so many times. I believe God, he shows up for, for, for people when they are de dedicated to give him glory. He shows up in ways that, so many Christians never get to experience because it's all about us. It's all about him being faithful for us. And I would even go as far as to say that when it comes to motivation, that we're third on the list. The first on the list is God's glory. Second is for others. The Bible is very clear that we are to be third in priority in our own life when it comes to even wanting glory, 
giving glory, getting glory. It's it, the second aspect of wanting to have bold faith should be for others. These masks we're wearing, I believe, for me anyway, I can say this, that it takes bold faith to wear a mask in a situation like this because I don't really believe I have the virus, but maybe I do. Maybe I'm asymptomatic. And so I, by me wearing a mask, I'm actually protecting other people. And so I, I feel like that is very loving to protect other people. And I know some people would say that wearing a mask is the opposite of that, that it's, that it's, it's, it's dumb. It's, it's not walking in real faith. You know, and to that I would say, well, then I guess go out on the interstate, go 100 miles an hour and don't wear your seatbelt. But we, we, we wear the mask to protect other people. It's a loving thing that we can do. I'm wearing a mask and I, I'm having to smell my own breath during worship for you people. That's very loving. I don't like to smell my own breath. <laughs> but that's, that's bold faith to say, you know what, I'm going to step out. I'm going to love you in a way that makes me uncomfortable. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Our faith should always be motivated to glorify God and to help others first. And then do we get to experience the benefits of it too? Of course. Of course we do. And we should. And that's a good thing. But we should be third on the list. The second one is, it's the second what if. What if we trusted when we don't understand? What if we trusted him even when we don't understand? Now this is the deal. I told you at the beginning, I'm very practical. And being practical trips us up when it comes to not understanding what God's doing. Because we want to understand. And I want to understand too much. In fact, I've had conversations with, with Joy. She will tell you that I want to understand too much. There's times you just don't need to understand. You just need to listen. And it's the same way with God. There's times we're not going to understand. To think that we could understand everything about God is so arrogant these finite minds he gave us. He is eternal. He is infinite. And so there's going to be times we don't understand. There's going to be times that something seems like it's in the word and it doesn't make sense to us and we don't understand. That's okay. Because we don't have to always understand. Well, I think we have this impression in our mind that if we have enough faith, that we will see the fruit of that faith and it will make sense to us. And sometimes it does. Sometimes you pray for something, God does it, and it makes sense. Then there's times you pray for something, God does something different. It makes no sense. And we have to learn to be okay with that. Because see, I think one of the things that trips us up the most in our faith is what I've, I like to call, I didn't coin the phrase, I've heard it before, but divine delays. You know, we have our own time frame for when we want God to do something. <laughs> God, I want you to do this, and I'm giving you this much time. We don't say that to him, but we know we're thinking that. But many, many, many times there will be a divine delay in what we want God to do. And I think we feel like sometimes if God's delaying, that that means I'm doing something wrong. Something's not going the way I think it should go, and I got the Holy Spirit in me, so obviously my time frame is the right one. So God's missing something here. And to that I would say, I would just remind you about Joseph. You know, when he was in prison for doing nothing, basically, he did nothing wrong to go to prison, and he was wanting out of there. Yet God delayed getting him out of this prison. And by delaying his release, Joseph was actually able to save literally nations because of a famine that was coming. So God will do that. He will divinely delay things that we want in life because God knows the end from the beginning. He knows so much more than we know. 
but we feel like we get in this mindset of, well, I think things should happen like this because God's not doing it. Our faith can suffer for it. And it shouldn't suffer because we need to understand that God has his timing for things. And if we understand that, then we can trust him when we don't understand. We can trust him when we don't understand. And at the end of the day, church, it, it will reveal to you if you're trusting him or if you're trusting the results. It's not about trusting. We all want the results. But man, I mean, there are countless stories in this room alone where the results didn't make sense to us. And I pray that, and it's going to happen again to all of us. Where you prayed for something. To, to, to wrap my mind around the fact that there are people that hate God that can get healed of cancer and sicknesses. And there's people that passionately love Jesus that die of cancer no matter how many people pray and fast for them. I'll never understand it. But I don't have to. I know my God. And I also know that, again, if we don't love this life, we have nothing to lose. You know, we don't talk about rejoicing when a brother or sister in the Lord dies from a disease. We don't talk about rejoicing in, in the fact that they're with Jesus until after the fact, until we've exhausted all other options. Because to us, it's the only option is always that they would get healed, right? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not a good thing. Of course, we want to pray for people to get healed. But at the same time, when we know that this life is a vapor, the Bible says it's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. That we don't have to love this life. And we win no matter what happens. And we can trust God in that. And we don't have to understand. Proverbs 3 and 5, one of the, one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We are not supposed to lean on our understanding. I used to think this verse was a command. Like, don't you dare lean on your understanding. Don't, don't try to figure it out on your own. It's not at all. It's permission. It's saying, you don't have to try to figure it out. You can just trust in me with all your heart. That's all you got to do. That's a wonderful, freeing verse in the Bible. And you know, it's easy to talk about trusting when you don't understand when we're talking about things that don't affect you. You know, I could trust God for you when something didn't go the way you thought it should. And I can encourage you and say, you just need to trust the Lord. It's good. God's good. Amen. Yeah, he's good. You know, and I can, I can trust God in the fact that the earth rotates around the sun, even though I don't understand that. But it really has no effect on me and God's got it taken care of, so I don't have to worry about it. I can trust God for things I don't understand, but it's different when it's something that's personal to me. It's different when I have to trust him in something I don't understand when it pertains to my life. When I believed God for something and it didn't happen, that's a different thing. But if we trust him when we don't understand, it will help our faith grow. What if we made up our minds that our faith is not going to depend on whether or not it makes sense to us every time? What if we made up our minds it's not going to depend on that? That I'm going to trust him because I know his character, I know he's good, I know he's sovereign, and I can trust him. That's something we'd have to remind ourselves of constantly. I'm going to trust him. My finances are a mess. I'm going to trust him. I've prayed and fasted for him to fix my, my marriage. It hasn't happened. I'm going to trust him. I've prayed and fasted that COVID-19 would go away. It's still here. I'm going to trust him. He's good. He's good. He's good. And we can trust him when we don't understand. The third one, what if we knew our role? What if we knew our role in faith? Because in faith, there's a role that we have, and then there's a role that God has. And sometimes we get the, those lines get blurred. It's important that we know our role. What is our posture supposed to be when it comes to faith? 
I think it's summed up very well in this verse in uh, Luke 7. It talks about the centurion that had a servant of his was really sick, and he loved this servant. So he sent one of his other servants to Jesus and told the servant to tell Jesus, hey, he made the case for Jesus coming to the centurion's house to heal this servant. And he said, this guy's a really good guy, Jesus. You definitely want to heal him. He's, he, you know, he deserves it. And so let's look at verses 6 and 7. It says, so Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. This is the posture God wants us to have. Think about this, church. The centurion, he was an officer in the Roman army. An officer. He was, he was ranking. Okay, The Romans had conquered the Jews. They were completely subjected to the Roman government, whatever they wanted to do. And here's this, this Jewish person that this Roman officer says, I'm not even worthy to have you in my home. I'm not worthy. He's not saying, Jesus, you're not worthy to come into my home. He's saying, I'm not worthy to have you. In society, in society there, Jesus was so far below the centurion, he couldn't even see him. But yet this guy says, I'm not worthy to have you in my home. And, and here's, here's where we find what is so great about the heart of this centurion. Because Jesus says, and I don't have that, this verse, but it's like one of the next verses. Jesus says, I have not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. So it was the centurion's faith that caused him to tell Jesus, I'm not worthy of you. Now think about that, church. We think our faith puts us in this place where Jesus owes us something. Where we go to Jesus and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a believer, Jesus. I need you to do this and this and this for me. I mean, we don't say it like that because we know enough not to say that out loud to Jesus. But it's in our heart. Because how many times do we get frustrated with God? How many times do we metaphorically shake our fist at God saying, God, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? I'm a good person. I go to church. I tithe. I, I, I help my neighbor. I'm, I love people. I've sacrificed. I've done this and this. You should be doing this for me. And we get frustrated with God. I hear it all the time. Christians that are frustrated with God. Yet here's the centurion who is ranking infinite times above Jesus in their society saying, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And Jesus says, that's the kind of faith I'm looking for. That's the kind of faith I'm looking for. And I know the Bible says we can come boldly into his throne room of grace. I get that. I fully understand that. And I believe that with all my heart. But there, you can come boldly and still come with humility. Still understanding that in comparison to you, Jesus, I am nothing. I am not worthy to be in your presence. In fact, the only reason I can come into your presence is because of what you did for me. That's the only reason. Not shaking my fist at God saying, you owe me this, God. You need to do this for me. But saying, God, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy to, to have you come into my home. I'm not worthy, Jesus. That is the posture that God will want us to have to grow our faith. It matters so so much in our life that we understand and know our role. Our role is to be desperate for Jesus. This centurion was desperate. He sent an officer out to meet him. Then he sent another one out to talk to him. He was desperate. Our place in faith, if we want to see our faith grow, is desperation. 
Total desperation, not this attitude of, eh, you know, but being desperate for him. The woman that was bleeding, had the issue of bleeding. She is the example. You know, she said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. And she does. She fights through the crowd. She gets him. She just touches the hem of his robe. And it says, Jesus knew the power went out from him. So he stopped and he turned around. He said, who did that? And here this woman came trembling before him and said, it was me. And Jesus looks at her and he says, your faith has healed you. And don't kid yourself, her posture had something to do with it. Because she knew that she wasn't worthy. She, it wasn't that she just couldn't get in front of him. I, I believe she was waiting until he went by because she thought, I'm not even worthy to get in front of this guy. So she just tried to get his robe as he walked by. Because she didn't feel like she was worthy. And then you look at the opposite of that. The flip side is when Jesus went to his hometown and he starts preaching in the synagogue. And at first they're blown away by his, pre, his teaching. And then they realize, wait a minute. Isn't that Mary's kid? He's nobody. He's a carpenter. You know, I'm a, I'm a farmer. We're, we're ranking higher than carpenters. He's nothing. And you know what the Bible says? It says he could hardly do any miracles there. And it says that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Yeah. It was because of their attitude towards him. So our attitude towards him, how we see ourselves, knowing our role, is very, very important. All right. The last one, because i got to keep moving is what if, the key to, what if the key is knowing him? What if the key to bold faith is knowing Jesus? This is actually a rhetorical question because, of course, it is the key. Knowing him is everything. Knowing him is everything. Faith is not as much about the mustard seed as where it is placed. I could take mustard seed and throw it out here on the stage. It would do nothing. I could take it out in the asphalt, throw it out there, and it would do nothing except cook this time of year. I could throw it in the carpet here right at the altar even of the church and the seed would do nothing. That'll preach all day. It has to be put in good soil. Where the seed is embedded means everything. Where my seed, where I am embedded means everything. Where I am found, am I found in Jesus? Am I, am I non-committal doing the test drive or am I all in? Am I, am I getting to know him? Do I know him in an intimate, passionate way? Mark 4, 27 tells us the farmer, you know, throws out the seed and it says night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. So guess what? God does the work of growing our faith when we are in him. That's revolutionary. That is so freeing to know I don't have to work to grow my own faith. All I got to do is be found in him. And being found in him is not about Sunday mornings. It's about 24, 7, 365, and however many years God gives you on this earth, being in him, knowing him, pursuing him, loving him. You know, in Acts 3, it's one of, the, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Peter and John are walking through, and the guy, the, the cripple that they put at the gate, beautiful, every day to beg for money. They walked up to him, and his Bible says he looked at them thinking they were going to give him some money. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. And he extends his hand. The guy gets up, walks. Incredible miracle. One of the best stories in all the Bible. Until you keep reading and you realize that the Sanhedrin and, and the leaders got all upset because this guy was giving glory to Jesus. And so they brought Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. And they said, hey, how, what power are you guys doing this? How, what, who's giving you the power to do this? 
And Peter says, the, the, caps, or the, uh, the stone you guys rejected has become the capstone. He said, there is no name under heaven given to men by which men must be saved, except for the name of Jesus. And then look at what the, this, this next verse says in, in Acts 4, actually, in verse 13. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Beautiful. I would love to be guilty of that. Do the world, do people in your life, do they recognize that you have been with Jesus? These guys weren't with Jesus in a casual way. They weren't Facebook buddies. When it says that they were with Jesus, they were reflecting Jesus. They were doing the same stuff Jesus was doing that ticked off the Sanhedrin. They recognized that they had been with them. You know, knowing his character and knowing him will help us so much in our faith. It'll cause our faith to grow in ways we don't even know. But not only that, it'll keep you from wasting time on ridiculous prayers too. Because if you really know him, you know some things, it doesn't make any sense to pray. I'm not going to pray for you that your relationship with your girlfriend is blessed when I know you're living together. Oops. I can't pray for your finances if I know you're not tithing or paying your taxes or being generous to anybody. That goes against the character of God. Why is he going to bless it? You don't even need faith for that. Some of it's just practical. But we, have to, we don't know that if we don't know him. We have to know him and know his heart. And it is impossible to have faith in him if you don't love him. And it's impossible to love him if you don't know him. And it's impossible to know him if you don't spend time with him. So, I don't know about you guys, but long before I ever became a pastor, this thing has been a staple in my life. From the time I decided I was going to live my life for Jesus, when I really decided I'm done with the test drive, I'm going to do this. This has been a staple in my life ever since. And not reading a couple verses so I feel better about myself so I can go along my day, or not reading a few verses before I watch Netflix so I don't feel guilty, but really being in it, studying it, knowing it, and then praying and talking to my God and listening to him talk to me and setting myself up at a place where I know that God can speak to me and I'll let him say whatever he wants to say to me. You know, one of the boldest prayers you can ever pray is, Lord, speak to me. Because if the Lord speaks to you, you better be ready. Because he's usually not going to say, oh, that's good, you're good, everything's great, thank you. I'm just happy that you, you know, love me a little bit. <laughs> that's not usually what he does. He usually tells us stuff that go, ugh. Or he reveals things in our heart that make us go, ugh. I forgot that was there. Is that okay if I just keep that, Lord? I don't want to deal with that. That's no fun. It's a bold prayer to say, God, have your way. Speak to me. Do your work in my life. But we can do that. We can trust him. He's not our personal genie. And I think sometimes we treat him that way. He's not our genie. We are his completely and totally. And if we don't understand that, our faith will be built on our feelings. And we all know what our feelings do. They are the biggest liars in the world some days. I don't want to build my faith on my feelings. I want to build it on knowing my God intimately and personally. Would you stand with me as I close this, this afternoon? I went a little long, but we'll be done here in about two minutes or four. 
Do you believe that your life is different because of your faith? Of course it is. Because you've seen people, you know people that don't have faith in God. And you know what their life looks like. And, and the aimlessness of life without faith in God. We know that our faith has made our life better. Not better in a way that we have more stuff, better because we have purpose. Well, how much more would bold faith give us that purpose? Some of us have never ventured out into that, but some of us are happy with having a little measure of faith. The Bible tells us that we're all a portion of measure of faith. Some of us are content with that. Like, I, I want my faith, but I got, you know, I got too many other things too. Maybe you love this world. And if you do, you just need to be honest with yourself. I've gone in and out of loving this world and things of the world. I've had those moments in my life. I've said it before, I had a time where my business was prospering very well and I started to find myself really loving money. And so the Lord told me to give it all away. So we, we all deal with loving this world at times. But we have to be real with ourselves. Say, God, I don't wanna love this world. I wanna love you. And you can't love both, church. You can't do it. You just absolutely cannot do it. Because you know, represent, the world, rep the money is what represents this world. That's what drives this world. And Jesus said very clearly, you cannot love both God and money. You can't do it. We've tried, I tried, <laughs> it doesn't work. And then I pray that prayer, God speak to me. And he says, oh, okay, give it all away. And I get, Ooh. are you sure God? How about I just give what's in my wallet today, right? But that's our God and he's worth it, church. He's worth it. So I'm gonna ask you, we're gonna pray. I wanna ask you just in response, if you're comfortable, hold your hands out, hold your arms up, put your head down, your eyes closed, whatever you wanna do, but let this be a prayer of your heart today. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that you call us to bold faith and the God that all we have to do is give ourselves to you and you do the work. We don't have to understand, just like the farmer doesn't understand how the seed grows, it's not our job. Our job to be is, is to be found in you. So God, we just wanna to come today humbly. And Lord, we confess that sometimes we love this world. Sometimes we love the things. Sometimes we want our own way. Sometimes when we think about faith, we think about what faith could do for us. But God, today we come and we say, we want you glorified in our life, that our faith would glorify you and lift your name. Lord, help us to know our role, that we're not worthy of you. And when we felt like we are worthy and we've, We've got frustrated with you for not doing what we want, Lord. We repent. We repent, God, because we're not worthy. But I thank you that you love us so much, that you love us, that you paid the ultimate price for us. God, help us to live for you. Help us to step out in that bold faith. Help us not to test drive our faith, but to jump in, to sign the papers, to say, yes, I am committed. And God, when we stumble and fall, that we would come back quickly. And Father, would you build a passion in our hearts to know you and to love you, that your word would be a staple in our life every day, that knowing you would be our greatest priority in this whole world. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for it, God. You are worthy of our lives, Jesus, and we love you and we thank you for it. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we worship him this morning for a little bit? Just give him praise. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're good. You're so good. We honor you today, God. We honor you today, Jesus. Is God good to you? He's so good. He's so good. Don't look at your, don't grow your faith with these eyes, church. 
Grow it with your eyes of faith. And God will help you.